I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the Old Testament book of Joel. Joel is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and we are going to walk our way over the next four weeks through this important book, as we often do at North River Church, week in and week out, through the Scriptures, verse by verse, through books of the Bible, and so we finished the book of Ephesians a few weeks ago, took about a three-week break, and uh, we are diving back into the Old Testament this week, and uh, I want you to know I had one of our guys this uh, past week say to me, I'm coming to the 1015 service, and I said, why is that? And he said, because you'll have at least one service practice, you got to be better in the second one. And I promptly let him know the difference between the first service and the second service is first service, I have a hard stop. Some of y'all are thinking, I came to the wrong one this week. As we look this morning at the book of Joel, I have a question for you. The sermon title is, Do I Have Your Attention? How many of you had parents that had a specific way that they could get your attention? I've heard it here a couple of times. You call your kid's first and then middle name, Wyatt Dean, (laughs) Miss Sarah Lingle, I've heard that, get his attention, got to grab it. How many of you had a parent that you were riding down the road and they said, don't make me pull this car over? How many of you had a parent who actually pulled the car over? Thought my dad, there's no way riding down the interstate at 78 miles an hour that he could pull off as fast as he did, but right over to the side of the road, turn around, do I have your attention now? You know, it's interesting as we walk our way through the book of Joel, and we will over the next couple of weeks together, that that's exactly what God is doing with his people in this important book. And so as we walk through the text, what I want you to know and what I want you to take advantage of seeing in the text is that God is trying to get his people's attention. In fact, as we walk our way through the Old Testament, what we'll often see is that God's people will walk with Him for a season of time. They will live in an intimate relationship with Him. They will experience God's blessing as He promised them. And then you'll see a season where they walk away from the Lord, where they are not interested in following the Lord with their lives, where they want to do things their own way. And what we often see is God disciplining His people. God will either bring an invading army or God will send famine or something like that to his people to grab their attention and to turn their attention back to him and say to them, turn back to me. Walk in relationship with me. Experience what I intend for you to experience in a life lived in worship towards me. We're going to see that play out in the book of Joel, and so I want to read for us Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through verse 20, and this is what the word of the Lord says. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your father's? Tell your children of it, 
And let your children tell their children and their children to another generation what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley. Because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up. The fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up. And gladness dries up from the children of man. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Is not the food cut off from before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call, For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You know, as you look at the first chapter of the book of Joel, what you realize is that things are not going very well for God's people at this point. It's very clear to see that something is happening in the southern kingdom of Israel, in Judah, at this point in time, and you see that God's people are languishing at this point. They are experiencing what we will find out is God's judgment, God's discipline against them for their sin. 
What you see throughout the Old Testament, as I said before, is that God will enter into covenant with His people and He'll say to them, if you will walk in obedience with Me, if you will love Me, if you will serve Me, if you will raise your children to follow after Me, you will experience blessing on your life. You will experience what it means to truly live life the way that it was intended in relationship with Me, following My commands, living in intimacy with Me. But if you don't, God loves His people too much to allow them to stay in their sin. God loves His people too much to leave them alone and say, well, just do whatever you want to do. No, what God does is He sends discipline into their life. In the same way that a parent who actually loves their kid, right, disciplines their kid. You discipline those that you love. The same thing's true for God. He disciplines His children that He loves. And what we're going to see in the book of Joel as we walk through it over the next four weeks is God saying to His people, what you have just witnessed, what you have just endured, the discipline that has come upon you as a people is not meant to be harsh and overbearing and to cause you to become discouraged with life. In fact, it is meant to turn you back to me. It is meant to grab your attention, to help you see that the life that you are living right now is not what God has intended. But God desires to walk in intimacy and relationship with you. You're taking notes this morning. I want you to write down this main idea that's going to frame our time together in Joel chapter 1 this morning. And it's this truth God disciplines his people with the express desire that they repent of their sin and they turn back to him. God disciplines his people, his children for the reason that he desires for them to turn from their sin and to return back to him. As you look, what you're going to see play out in the book of Joel, which is about 800 to 900 years before the time of Christ, what you're going to see play out is God's people, after they've been exiled, after they've already experienced God's judgment for their sin several times, that they are going to be enjoying the benefits of the land in which he has led them, and yet again, they're going to turn from the Lord. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, but have you ever noticed that there are seasons of your life where you look and you go, Man, I could not grow closer to the Lord than I am right now. Like I am on the mountaintop experience with the Lord and then it's not but just a few months later you look and go, what happened? What's going on? Why why am I experiencing this, this dryness? Why am I experiencing maybe God's discipline in my life because of sin that's present? And you look and you realize that, you know, as we look at the book of Joel, we are not different than God's people here. In fact, we experience much of the same thing that God's people here experienced. I want you to notice, beginning in verse 2, and I want you to notice here what Joel does. The first thing that Joel does is basically say to God's people, listen up. You need to hear what I am about to say. 
This is not Joel's words. This is not Joel stepping onto the scene and saying, hey, let me prognosticate of what may be happening right now, why God's judgment may be against our people. No, the first verse tells us this is the word from the Lord. God has spoken to Joel, and Joel is simply God's mouthpiece to speak to the people. And Joel says, beginning in verse 2, listen up. Verse 2, hear this. Listen. I don't know if you've ever had to tell your kids that. Listen up. Stop talking for a second. Anybody ever had their parents say to them, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a purpose, that you listen twice as much as you talk? But that's here what Joel is trying to say to the people. Listen up. Listen to what I am about to say. Hear this, you elders. Give ear all the inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Listen up. Have you witnessed anything like this before? Have you endured anything like this before? Have you even heard of someone enduring something like this? Joel is looking at the people and he's saying to them, and we're going to find out here in just a second, that they are experiencing severe famine in the land of Judah at this point in time, that God has sent an army of locusts to eat everything in sight, to lead the people into famine, hopefully to get their attention and to turn it back to himself. But he says here, have you seen anything like this? Have you witnessed anything like this in your lifetime? Or have you even heard about it from your fathers in their lifetime? And notice he says, tell your children about this. Let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. You see, the reality is that God's people had endured similar things. God's people had turned from him, experienced God's judgment, God's discipline, and turned back to him. In fact, it happens often throughout the Old Testament. And yet the challenge that the people of Judah, the people of Israel, God's people were experiencing is that it had not been passed from one generation to the next. What God had done, the children didn't know about. What a tragedy to have had the history of God with his people from the Old Testament all the way up until this point in time of God blessing his people as they walk in obedience to him and then God removing his hand of blessing when his people are not walking in obedience to him. But the children, those in this generation, they don't know it. They've not heard it. Parents, grandparents, I want to encourage you, even as we think about this, your children and your grandchildren and one day your great-grandchildren need to hear what God has done in your life. They need to hear it. They need to know about these seasons like what we're about to see here in Judah. They need to hear the moments in your life where you were walking close with the Lord, but even the seasons, this is the ones we don't want to talk about, when we aren't walking as close to the Lord. When we're experiencing God's discipline in our life, we don't often like to talk about that, but they need to hear that. They need to know that you have walked the same road that they may be currently walking. 
You know, as we think about God's discipline on his people, as we are going to cover here in just a little bit, these locusts that are coming in, I want to be careful as we think through this this morning. As you may be here today, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you are walking through a season of difficulty in your life right now. In fact, it may seem in this moment that everything is stacked against you, whether it's a medical diagnosis, it's a job loss, whatever may be going on in your life, you may be looking at that right now, and in this series, you may be tempted to think that, well, there must be sin in my life that's bringing this as a result. In fact, some will actually say things like that. If you look at the book of Job, Job's friends entered into Job's life as he experienced incredible devastation. And it was at the hand of the Lord. And it wasn't because of Job's sin. It was simply because the Lord was seeking to test him and to strengthen his faith in his friends, which you you don't need friends like this. But Job's friends entered into his life and all of them said, Job, there must be sin in your life that you've not confessed. That's the only reason that God would allow something like this to happen in your life. And the truth is, that's not always the case. You may be here this morning walking through a season of difficulty, walking through struggles right now, and you may be tempted to think it's sin in your life. It's possible that it is, but it's also possible that God has allowed you to walk through this season so that he can strengthen your faith in him. It also could be possible that you are walking through this season right now simply because we live in a broken world. Why do people get cancer? Why do people die from certain diseases? Why do you lose a job? Well, sometimes it's not because of sin in your life. Sometimes it's simply because you live in a broken world. And our hope as believers in a broken world is to know that we have a Savior who also walked through a broken world. One who was perfect and without sin, but yet endured torture, endured incrimination when he was not guilty of anything for us. As we look this morning, verse 4, we find out what is going on in Judah at this point. Verse 4, what the cutting locust left. The swarming locust is eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. How many of you knew that there were that many types of locusts? I had somebody tell me this morning, said, you know, that's actually describing the life cycle of a locust. It's like, where were you Thursday this week when I was studying, working through this? But what is pictured here is total devastation of the crops, total devastation of the fruit trees, total devastation of any grass, any type of fertile soil that had anything growing on it was devastated by these locusts. They had eaten everything inside. It had plunged the people of God and Judah at this point into severe famine. They are looking around, starving to death, trying to figure out what happened. And we're going to find out that what happened is they walked away from the Lord. 
And that God in His mercy and in His grace sends this invading army of locusts to Judah to get His people's attention. In fact, the second thing we see Joel say to his people, awake, not only listen up, but wake up. Open your eyes to see what's going on around you. I said in the first service this morning that this will be the mantra of parents who have kids that start school Tuesday. Wake up. Get up. It's time to wake up. You got to wake up. Open your eyes. Time to go. But the same thing holds true for God's people here. Joel says to them, listen up. Listen. Pay attention to what's going on. Wake up. Wake up to what's happening around you. Verse 5, awake you drunkards, weep and wail all you drinkers of wine because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. You need to open your eyes to the reality of what's going on around you. You need to listen to what God is doing. You need to wake up to what God is doing. And then he says, beginning in verse 6, Not only listen up and wake up, but look around. Beginning in verse 6. For a nation has come up against my land. Powerful and beyond number. Listen to the description here. Its teeth are lion's teeth. And it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped their bark. It has thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. Not only has this devastation taking place in the fields of the people here in Judah, but as he says in verse 19, not only has it affected that, not only has it affected the people being able to eat, but he says here, it's affected the people being able to worship the Lord. Verse 9, the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. And then in verse 10, the fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Here to the farmers in verse 11, be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. Joel, on behalf of the Lord to the people, says there is not a person in Judah who has not experienced the effects of this. Everyday people who are seeking just to live and to work and to gain food, you can't go to Publix and pick out what you want. You're dependent on growing your own crops or at least being able to work and produce enough money that you can gain food. But at this point in time, they're not even able to do that. The offerings that are coming into the house of the Lord are non-existent because there's no food, there's no grain, there's no wine, there's no oil, there's nothing. And then the farmers had one job, to protect the crops, to make sure that the crops are there. But he says here, they're devastated because nothing 
is surviving. You know, as you think about this, what you realize is for the nation of Israel at this point, for Judah, for God's people, what they are experiencing here is the exact opposite of what God intended for them to experience. In fact, when God called his people Israel, he made them this promise that if they would walk in relationship with him, if they would walk in obedience to him, that he would bless them. When he led them into the promised land, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. It had everything that they could want, materially speaking. But remember, it was tied to them walking in obedience to him. And at this point in time, They've chosen not to walk in obedience to the Lord, but to turn away from Him. To seek to live life apart from Him. And as a result of that, here is what they experience. Utter devastation. What they thought would satisfy them is no longer there. As we think about that in our own lives, the same thing may be true for us. You see, the reality is God created every single one of us with a longing and a deep desire to have a relationship with Him. In fact, Jesus made this promise that He came to give life, and not just life, but abundant life. Now, some have tried to strip that and to take it away and to say, God's primary aim for you in your life is material prosperity. That's what God wants for you. And the problem with that is, I don't know if you've been praying for the red Ferrari, but I haven't gotten mine. See, the truth is, abundant life is not abundance in our possessions, Abundant life is life with Jesus Christ as our Savior. Life lived in relationship with Him. And so we can try to fill our lives with all kinds of things, but the reality is none of that will satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. The only thing that can do that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the abundant life. But how many times... Have we found ourselves in the same spot here as God's people? Found ourselves in the same spot of thinking that, yeah, I have trusted Jesus as my Savior, but let me figure out if there's something else that can satisfy my longings of my heart. And we turn from the Lord and we turn to that thing, whatever shiny thing it may be, and we latch on to it and we think this will satisfy And Jesus simply becomes the cherry on top of what I want. And the reality is, we will find ourselves, if that's where we are, exactly where God's people found themselves here. God loves you too much to allow you to chase those things without bringing discipline in your life as a believer. And at this point in time, he is saying to his people, look around you. You thought you had it all. You thought you had what your heart desired. You thought you were going to be able to satisfy it with what the world has to offer. And you've turned your back on me. And now you found yourself with nothing. 
Let me ask you a question this morning. Is that where you find yourself today, believer? Where sin has been present in your life that you have been chasing after something more than you've been chasing after the Lord and you are looking right now and you have been asking the question, why am I not experiencing the abundant life that God promised that I would experience if I just trust Jesus as my Savior and the reality is that you have turned from the Lord? That you are chasing after sin more than you are chasing after Jesus. You find yourself where God's people here found themselves. And God's desire in disciplining his people is always with the purpose of drawing them back to himself. If you're a parent, you think about that for just a second. When you discipline your kids... What's your heart when you do that? Some of you are like, "Mm, I don't know that I want to share that. Let's be honest, there are times when we have to rein it back in, when we are disciplining our kids out of anger, and my oldest daughter sitting in the room, there are times when I've had to go to her and say, hey, Dad's sorry, I responded in anger here, and I should not have done that. But the ultimate goal of parents as we seek to discipline our kids is to call them back to ourselves, to redirect them to the way they should be living their lives, to help them in wisdom recognize that this path is not the path that you need to be on. It's not going to give you what you desire. And at this point in time, Joel is saying to the people, look around. Look at this. And then he says, fourth, beginning in verse 13, repent. Turn from your sin. He says in verse 13, put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Call out to the Lord, repent, turn from your sin in this moment, look around, recognize, wake up and see this is not the path moving forward. Verse 15, alas, for the day. If you're taking notes in your Bible, underline this. For the day of the Lord is near. This is a theme that we're going to see throughout the book of Joel. This term, the day of the Lord, is something that's going to pop up over and over and over again. And what Joel wants the people here to understand is this discipline of God, this judgment of God on the people in this moment is nothing compared to the judgment that is to come when Christ returns. 
When Christ returns, He will set all things right. When Christ returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming. And He says to the people here, if you think this is bad, wait until that day comes. You are better off to turn now back to the Lord than you are to wait for the day of the Lord that's coming. Maybe here this morning, and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when we talk about the day of the Lord right now, you may be sitting back and saying, Pastor, what is that? And as I said just a little bit ago, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God who came to this earth as a baby in a manger who lived a perfect and sinless life, who took your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross, who paid for our sins there, who died and was buried, who rose again on the third day, who when he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, said to his disciples, I will be back. I will come again. As you read through the New Testament, you enter into the book of Revelation. What you see is that when he comes back, he no longer comes back as a baby in a manger. He comes back as the conquering king. We sang about that just a bit ago. In fact, he comes back in all authority. He comes back with judgment at his lips. All who are separated from God. All who have chosen not to trust Jesus as their Savior will experience the full wrath of God. But here's the good news for you today. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, gives you the opportunity to trust in him for salvation, having absorbed the wrath of God against your sin. In Christ, you can be forgiven. In Christ, when that day of judgment comes, the day of the Lord arrives, you don't go into that terrified. You go into that confident that you are a child of God. Maybe for you, that's the step that you need to take today. Joel calls the people to repentance, and then finally he calls them to return to the Lord. Verse 19, to you, O Lord, I call. In the midst of all that Joel has walked through, in the midst of all that God's people have endured, Joel says to them, return to the Lord. God, I call on you. Today is an opportunity for you and for me to call on the Lord. I want to ask you if you would bow your heads with me and close your eyes and as our worship team makes their way back up. Maybe you've come in today burdened down by life. Burdened down by the struggles and the reality is for you as a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, the reason that you are experiencing that now could very well be just the fact that we live in a broken world. 
Or maybe the Lord is using this to strengthen your faith in him. And maybe right now for you, this is an opportunity to lay that burden at the feet of the Lord. To receive comfort from him today. To relieve you of that burden, to encourage you in your walk with him, to strengthen you, to wrap his arms of mercy and grace around you, to have the opportunity for one of our pastors here to pray for and encourage you. We want to do that for you today. Maybe you're here though and you're a follower of Jesus and the reality is what you're walking through right now you are experiencing because of sin that's in your life. And this is an opportunity for you to search your heart, to allow the Spirit of God to search your heart, to point out that sin, to give you an opportunity this morning to repent of that and to return to the Lord. And maybe for you in this time of response, that's the step that you need to take. If you need to talk with someone, our pastors will be down front. We'd love to do that or following the service this morning to talk with you, to help you on the road back to an authentic and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. As we talk about the day of the Lord approaching, what that is going to entail, maybe this morning you have a concern. And you'd say, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If he returns today, I won't be ready. You have an opportunity right now to respond to the gospel You have an opportunity right now to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. To admit that you are a sinner. To believe that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, through His death on the cross and His resurrection makes it possible to you to be forgiven of your sins and brought into relationship with God. And to confess with your mouth this morning that Jesus Christ is Lord. You have an opportunity today to do that. Father, would you use this time? Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us where we're weak? Would you wrap your arms of mercy and grace around us as we are walking through just what it means to be in a fallen world? God, if we are far from you, we've never taken the step of trusting Jesus as our Savior Would you give us the courage right now to respond? If there's sin in our life has not been confessed, not been dealt with, not been turned from, would you give us the courage today, the strength today to do that? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing with us during this time of invitation? If you need to speak with someone or be prayed for this morning. I'd encourage you to come down and talk with one of our pastoral staff. But you respond to the Lord.